impossible in one church for some people to feel like their church is a family and for others in that same church to not feel like it is a family at all. And what role does culture have in that possible divide? That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's get to it. Welcome back to the All Things to All People podcast. I'm Michael Burns, and this is episode 20. We're going to talk about being family and the role that culture has in it. And I'm excited, as always, to have uh, a guest with us today. But today is uh, especially great. It's my amazing wife, my Cresha. Hello. Hey, hon. Hi. Good to have you here. Good to be um, here. My my wife is difficult to schedule uh, to get on the podcast. She has a lot going on, so uh, I'd have my people talk to her people, and it it, <laughs> it took a lot of work to get her uh, scheduled here today. So I'm I'm uh, I'm grateful that you could make it. Um, let's let's jump right in to the reading today, and uh, uh, because it's about us. So I think that'll that'll be fun, hey? Right. Yes, okay. All always. Right. So let me jump in. Um, <clears throat> we're going to a funeral this weekend, my wife stated matter-of-factly. This took me a bit off guard because we had no previous plans that I knew of to go to a funeral. I answered carefully because I recognized that there were three important factors operating here. The first was that it was possible that my wife had told me of an upcoming event or plan, and I had forgotten all about them. I'm not fully admitting that I do things like that, but there have been accusations made. Because <laughs> uh, I never do that, right? Never. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> the second thing is that the funerals are not something that are really planned in the long term, so they rarely come in a convenient time, nor do you get a lot of advance warning. The third factor is that we were potentially talking about family, and that can be a delicate subject and must be navigated carefully. I responded with, yes, it's sad. How are you doing? I had masterfully crafted this reply so as to tactfully elicit the information as to whose funeral we were evidently attending. It didn't work, so eventually I had to take a more direct approach and just asked who had passed away. She responded with a name I'd never heard before. It didn't sound like any relative, and I was certain that this was not someone we knew from our church family. In retrospect, my next statement may not have been so wonderfully constructed. Um, why are we going to that funeral? Because it's family, she retorted with a tight-lipped control that told me I was now in precarious ground, danger Will Robinson. <laughs> I bluntly spurted out, I don't remember anyone by that name. This was not my best work. It's my granddaddy's sister's son's nephew. To be honest, I don't even remember if that's the correct formula. It seems like it was even more complicated than that. But as I write this, there's no way I'm going back to my wife to confirm what the relationship actually was. So now that you're here and you're reading this, dear, 
Do you remember this particular incident? There's been several like this, but do you remember? I was just going to say it kind of blends in because we have this conversation, have had it multiple Often. times over the years. Yeah. Yes. So the, the formula of granddaddy, sister, son's nephew, that's probably not correct, but it was something along those lines, right? Thereabouts, yeah. Okay. So I'm close. I'm, I'm doing good. All right. Do we even know this person? Those were the next words that slipped past the review board of my brain and out of my mouth. Her terse reply ended the conversation, it's family. The trump card had been played and I was out of options. This was an event that would now be irrevocably added to the Google Calendar. The problem here is that although it's taken more than 20 years, my wife and I still need to hash out and bring together two very different cultural views of what family is and the need to connect with others. The disparity between my wife's view and mine of what a family is are very real. We continue to have to navigate those waters. My definition of family is very restricted. When growing up, it was my dad, mom, sister, and me. I still view that as my family, although now I would consider them my secondary family. My primary family is my wife and our boys. That's it. I understand that I have many other relatives and I love them, but I don't feel the same connection or sense of obligation as though they are family. Now, let me stop here at my creation and say, what, what's your, before we read this, what's your definition of family? Um, I just, family is relative. I mean, it's relative to um, who you have a sense of connectedness with, um, how you relate to that person. It doesn't necessarily have to be your blood relative. Um, yeah. So in other words, for you, it's like, Everybody you grew up with. Everybody I grew up with. Everybody um, you ever met. Everybody you know. Could be. Everybody you've seen on the street. Could be. <laughs> could be. Because your your family is huge, right? Yeah. And so as far as like who you're going to funerals with, and it could be like third cousins and people you haven't seen for 30 years and that are all these different connections. Yeah. So... Her definition of family is huge. Let me jump back in the reading here. For my wife, that is completely foreign and can feel loveless to her. She grew up with a large extended network of family that included all blood relations, but include could include others who were brought up into the clan through marriage or close relationships. Not only was her definition of family greatly increased beyond mine in sheer volume, there was also no distinction made between primary and secondary family members. Family's family. The reach of sharing resources and unquestioned help is extended to anyone included in the wide net of the family definition. To me, that feels overwhelming. It's hard to figure out. And it leads to abuse as you feel obligated to help people you barely know or haven't seen for 25 years simply because they're part of this massive group that's been labeled family. For the longest time, I failed to recognize that these differing definitions became a factor for us in our church families as well. I was much quicker to embrace the boundaries of our small group, which is our community, which our community calls family groups. That was our group. That's it. It's simple. Those are the folks that we need to connect with, help out, and build relationships with. My wife's attitude was wholly different, and to be honest, it drove me nuts for years. 
She would branch out constantly and stretch herself quite thin as she spent time with, counseled, and assisted people from other family groups all over the city. Why do you keep doing that, I would ask her. We needed to focus on our family group or our specific ministry when we went into the full-time ministry. In her mind, though, she was focusing on the family. In my mind, she was going outside of the family and stretching her limited personal resources to irresponsible levels. It was our divergent views of families that led to that dichotomy. So, Chris, what's your what's your feeling here? We just read that section. What what do you have to say so far? Yeah, I just um, I think that it that it does capture. You know, that's uh, I feel like the way that we operate, or the way that we um, the disparity. I like the word disparity. The disparity in um, how we view family. Um, I think that it very much stems from our upbringing. Um, and the way that we're bent, you know, like I, I grew up in a very collective communal um, dynamic. And I think that 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 it carries through in terms of um, of of who I feel is my family. But also, um, I think when I when I reach out or when I would connect with people or um, befriend people or whatever, I feel like every person has equal value, um, not only to me, but to God. And if I had the resource or if I had the capacity um, to help somebody, um, I felt like it wasn't mine to give or to hold on to. So, um, yeah, I, I would say this captures us, um, captures me. Um, quite well, and um, and that's the reasoning behind um, why I felt called or felt um, inspired to uh, to love in that way. Yeah. Okay. So you're being nice so far. Yeah. But let let's take that off and be real here. How annoying, on a scale of one to ten, over the years has has it been my more restrictive instinct and view about what family is on a scale of one to ten one to ten um ten like, being the most annoying i would say oppressively that, see see how that's not on yeah. the scale though see the oppressively is not yeah. on so the, like, what, what do you mean oppressively plus ten what, what what does that mean plus ten well explain that well i just feel like it's one thing when you have you know when somebody has like their perspective you know, but then when you like force somebody else to not only it's one thing if you say, I want you to see it in that way for me and embrace that for me. But when you make the decision that or when somebody makes a decision that now then you have to, um, you know, be restricted because that's what I personally prefer, then it feels oppressive. Right. And so that's been the challenge for us is because. When I want to operate in my way, it feels oppressive to you. When you want to operate in your way, it feels completely overwhelming and uh, ridiculous. Like, how can your family be 7,000 people, right? And because so, God said so. <laughs> where, where did God say that? <laughs> All over the Bible. That our families are going to be monstrous? Yes. Okay. All nations. Well... 
Okay, so you're talking the church now, <laughs> right? So you're switching up definitions. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm actually being very funny right now. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know, but I, I want, but you know me, I want, I want chapter and verse because I like to win conversations. So, um, but the, it it definitely caused stress in just our relationship right over the time because we we didn't even like necessarily recognize uh for a long time that we had such different cultural views on family and so you know some things uh were important to you or felt like family that didn't seem important to me or didn't feel like family and and vice versa and so that came into the church with us. But this is, this is an interesting example. Let me, let me read this one because uh, I think we both remember this incident. Um, it says, uh, it's not just the boundaries of who is and who is not included in a family that can be different. The concepts of what a family does and the purpose of family can be totally unlike as well. Several years ago, a single young woman who was African-American began coming to gatherings of our church. Then she began uh, to come more regularly to events and get-togethers. And after a few months, she'd studied the Bible with some of the sisters and was baptized into Christ. Not long after that, she shared with my wife that she'd almost stopped coming to church gatherings and was still struggling a bit to feel like she belonged. When my wife asked her what was causing her to feel that way, she revealed that she'd heard us many times say that the church is supposed to be a family, but it didn't feel like family to her. Of course, my wife asked her what she felt was lacking in that area. Her response surprised me, but my wife understood her sentiments immediately. Why didn't it feel like family to her? When she first started coming out to Sunday worship gatherings nearly every week, someone invited her to go to a restaurant for lunch with them. Sometimes it was a group of singles, and sometimes it was a family, or several families. But almost without fail, someone offered to take her out to lunch. Well, what could be wrong with that, you might wonder? How would that make her feel like the church did not act like a family? Some of you might be confused, while others of you have a good idea of what the issue was. So let me stop there, and why don't you explain before I read, in your own words, why somebody being invited out to eat uh, week after week and, and having her meal paid for uh, actually made her struggle and feel like we were not family. Because when you embrace somebody as family, you bring them home. You want to show them and you want to invite them into your comfort. You invite them into your space. And while being together, you know, like ultimately you're you're together, whether you're in a restaurant or you're in a home, it's not your home. And so when you when you feel like um, somebody is your family or you have a or from my cultural background, if you feel like somebody's your family, you bring them into your space. You know, they can, in a sense, let their hair down, uh, so to speak, uh, um, for like a better reference or better terms. Um, when you take them out, it feels like, okay, this is business, you know, like um, this is about about me getting out of this what I want, not necessarily there becoming a sense of us or even you, um, you know, being, 
yeah, you're being brought into my space, into a level of comfort and a security, into my safety. Um, so there's an element of trust that goes along with that as well. So you, in short, you bring family into your home. Yeah. And uh, now uh, this is an important question, and I'm going to ask it specifically. Who specifically taught you that or told you that growing up? Who sat down and said, this is what family does. They're going to have you into your home. Nobody said no that. No one, right? So that that's the power of culture. You just learned it, mm -hmm. right? And so it becomes the assumption, the presumption. It's just what you do without thinking about it. It goes into that auto part of your brain. Um, because for me, I had a very different experience. Like growing up after church with my parents, we always went out to eat with people. Uh, we did that much more often, I think, than uh, we had people in our home. Um, but much more often we went out to eat. So the first time I heard this, I was like, how could that be a problem? I, I love going out to eat. And if anybody ever wants to invite me out for lunch and pay for it, like, go ahead. <laughs> I, I feel pretty good about that. I, I feel great about that. Come on now. Um, and so... Uh, but this the whole point of the chapter is, is for the people that were taking her out, they felt like it was a very loving, respectful, kind thing to do. And for her, it was feeling like this is not a family, like they're saying it is. Yeah. And so it says, well, well you know, what, what did they do? They took her out to eat. In her mind, family has you in their home, which is what you were saying. Go to a restaurant. Going to a restaurant felt like a meeting to her. Mm -hmm. In her experience, families don't go out for a meal like that. That's formal. It sends a signal that we're not quite close enough to have you in our home. Right. If people had brought her home with them and had a homemade meal, that would have met her expectations of family to a much greater degree than a restaurant meal and a quick hour together. Uh, and that's another part I've noticed, like even in our families, like if the family's going to the relatives are all going to get together uh, on my side. We, in a big special day, we do what? We go out to a restaurant, right? Everybody meets at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part though, if your family's going to get together for a special day, where are they going to cook the food? At the house. At the house, or even more likely if it's a big special day, where? There's a right answer to this. I don't know. Tell me. That Y'all are going to cook out. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of yeah. Like at a park or somebody's house, there's going to be, you're going to cook out. Yeah. We're going to go eat in. Yeah. Um, and so, like, a, a cookout doesn't feel the same way to me. A cookout feels like a picnic, like uh, for a group or something. It mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily feel like a family event to me. But we've been to many cookouts with your family. And, and then while you're cooking out, whoever is riding by, they will pull up grab something to eat, oh, say hey to which, the family. Which just feels so rude. No. I know. Like, you just, <laughs> like, oh, come on over and have food. Like, I'm just like, you know what? You weren't invited. Don't come have food here. Like, that. that's my instinct, right? Like, you know, you just know. Well, it's community, and they know they're welcome. I understand that. That's a difference in culture. And my thinking is we only bought so much food, and you weren't on that planned list. But that, but see, that's another cultural thing because y'all will make just a ridiculous amount of food. 
Right. Like just a ton of food so that anybody can stop by. And you can take a plate when you get ready. Right. Which that was a whole thing too. (laughs) Like remember we were first married and you would give like a plate of food to everybody when they were leaving. And I'm like, Macretia, what are you doing? Like I was going to have that for leftovers because I'm like planned out the exact amount of food because the culture I grew up in was all about efficiency, right? So you didn't want to make too much more food than what you were going to eat. And I would make just enough. So it's like, okay, I got lunch for a day or two there. And then like my Christian's making extra food and then giving people big plates as they're leaving. And I'm sitting here struggling because I'm like, that was supposed to be my lunch. And not just <laughs> people are walking out with food. And I'm, I'm like, I'm getting upset, sort of, and you're just like being really loving in your cultural mind there. Um, so, all these little cultural differences. Let me pick back up with the reading. Family spends the day together with no sense of it is now time for us to go our separate ways and back to our separate spheres. Now, we ain't even going to pick that up because that's a whole nother chapter about time and our different cultural approaches to that. Right, because sometimes they might even stay for a week <clears throat> after the cookout is over. A week. <laughs> That's just abusive. <laughs> that seems horrible. Like, and, and you don't even have to, like, plan that out, right? No. It's just, I'm going to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, see, so yeah, there would have to be all kinds of itineraries and things discussed. Anyways, for many people of a similar cultural background to hers, the lives of family members are intertwined. You're always together and you do everything together. Going out to a restaurant for a meal and then parting ways feels more like a blind date or a business meeting than anything that families would do. Does this mean that the folks who were extending lunch invitations did something wrong? No, But it does mean that they were limiting themselves to one cultural paradigm and probably not considering different perspectives. I would venture a guess that a big part of this is convenience. I definitely tend toward the cultural perspective that would lead me to invite someone to a quick meal and then go our separate ways. It's much more time-consuming and inconvenient to drive all the way back to our house, cook a meal, eat that meal, spend a lazy afternoon with that person, and then perhaps need to drive them way back across town later in the day. That's too much work. But my wife has tried her best to train me that family is inconvenient. You don't apply the scales of ease and convenience to family. You sacrifice your time, your energy, or whatever else. Relationship trumps everything else. It can be difficult and uncomfortable for a community in which people have very different expectations of family. For some, the family dynamic is expressed simply by being together. For others, it comes from sharing your homes and the mundane parts of life, not just by going out for a coffee or a meal together. That This is not easy to navigate, but we will discuss some strategies to help do that at the end of this chapter. Now, that brings up another thought. on. Um, so, when we have people over and entertain, what I, I'm going to ask you this and see if you get this one right. What is my primary driving motivation for that evening? Like, as far as like, what kind of meal we're going to cook, what, you know, just how the whole thing's going to go. Efficiency. Oh, you got it right. That's right. Efficiency. Efficiency. Come on, give me five. There you go. (laughs) And what is your 
uh, from your cultural background? Because not just you, it's your whole family. What is what is kind of the motivating factor for you? That everybody is fed and they have a great time and they feel welcome. And and that's all part of, but that's not the phrase you always use, though. You want people to feel... At home. At home, but you want them... No, 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 no. You want them to feel what when they come? And you cook with what? And you prepare the meal with what? You're going to know it the minute I say it. Everything is love. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. So I'm <laughs> I was like, like, what? Is yeah, this a trick like, question or I'm what? I'm like, we got, pizza co- <laughs> we got people coming over. Let's just order a pizza. They don't make pizza with love. Yeah. Like, exactly. Like, and, and you'll be like, look at that table. It's not, it's not made. It's not all this stuff. Like, it's got to be done with love. I'm like, I don't, I don't, uh, like, efficiency. So I'm motivated by <laughs> an efficient culture. You're motivated by a relational culture. Um, and so that, that has caused us to, like, approach uh, many events differently. Yeah. Yeah. One just came to mind. I was thinking about, um, we had a guest speaker, and uh, Michael was just set on the fact that we were not going to have like donuts and pastries and that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, I, remember that. I was like, you cannot have people come <clears throat> and just give them water. We have, we can we please? Because I just wanted to put water bottles out in the back. He table. just wanted to put water bottles out on the back table. And I was like, can we, can you please just let me do this? Can I please just do this one? And, um, you know, people were encouraged. The The fellowship was encouraged. The folks that came to speak were encouraged. And I felt settled in my heart because I feel like it is definitely um, a an act of love to um, and thoughtfulness to, to do the little things, the things that seem like they're an inconvenience for somebody um, to make them feel special. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So... And we're not just talking about this stuff just so that you can hear uh, our own dynamic and, and what goes on. We're, we're talking about it as illustrations because these things then become um, issues within a church body when people have these different cultural backgrounds. Um, let, me, let me go on and read some more and we'll keep talking here. Many of the pathways of my life were seemingly already laid out for me before I was old enough to even understand them. These expectations were often subtly and sometimes directly communicated at various points so that I would never fail to understand. When you go to college was a phrase I heard often growing up. It was never if, but always when. I also heard at various times about when you get married, when you live on your own, and when you move away. There were other messages, of course, but just from those, I got a certain picture of what life would be like. I was being prepared to become adequately educated, get a career, move away, and begin a family of my own. I would obviously continue to love and be connected in certain ways to my parents and family of birth, but there was no question that the training I received was aimed at me becoming autonomous, separate, and having my own family one day. My wife's rearing was different. And, and I might say that there was a slight difference there between, I think, as I remember, between my mom and dad. Like, my mom was a little more willing to be like, oh, you can stay a little longer. And my dad was more like, <laughs> and about time for you to get out of the house, you know, sort of sort of thing. Um, they're both great, but, you know, he's kind of like, time to go, boy, you know, so. 
My wife's rearing was different, as you may have already figured out. The expectations passed along to her had much more to do with the eternal loyalty that family members were expected to show toward one another. Education, career, and living on her own were all possibilities, but were not basic expectations that were assumed. Those things paled in comparison to the family connection. Always sticking together and caring for one another, no matter the need, were of a much higher order than individual goals or achievements. In short, my upbringing was preparing me for life on my own. Much of her upbringing was preparing her for a life of interdependence and connection. These two extremes represent some of the differences that disciples can bring with them when it comes to their assumptions regarding the purpose of family. And this can color the expectations that we have for our church families. When some of us approach the concept of church family as something that should prepare us for an independent spiritual life, while others are expecting interdependence and lifelong reliance on one another, it can be difficult to meet all those needs and expectations. Now, Han, there is, um, uh, there's a, when we were, there's a question I want to ask you. When we were, um, probably over a decade ago now, we went to uh, South Africa and I don't remember if it was the first trip or second trip. So maybe it was like 13 years ago, 12, something like that. But um, we had spent several weeks over there with a couple different churches and stuff. And I remember at one point you said, oh, th- this is just how like church should be. Like people are together. There's this interdependence. There's this communal feel. It feels like family. And I remember you saying that and it was really interesting because I definitely understood the, the, you know, some of the differences between the way some of the African churches approach relationships and being together versus what we'd experienced in the U.S. But the churches in the U.S. always felt like family to me. And so what was it about those or what is it? Because I think that continues to this day in many respects. Uh, not that you don't. Uh, enjoy and are, are, you know, you're committed to the churches here as family, but there's something about uh, many of the African congregations that we've uh, ministered to and, and uh, been ministered to by and, and, you know, visited over the years. There's something about the life in those congregations that really connects for you. Uh, so, so what, what is that, that feels especially like family for you? Well, I think, I mean, so many things. And like, you know, every congregation that we visited kind of has its own little something. Um, Some of the things that I can think of are, you know, when you look around, um, like when you're singing together, you know, like you look around and you're singing songs from different languages, like literally almost everybody is singing, you know, so... Um, I think there's a sense of just regard that 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 they have a diverse community, but you know that each person's language and that part that they bring into the fellowship is is respected and invited and welcomed there. Um, I think tea, um, having tea and having um, you know like pastries um, as a part of the the time of fellowship and. Also, to the service, um, there were no like paper plates or things that you were throwing away. Like it was a full tea service, 
um, that also just communicated, um, you know, that the the people that were there were um, significant and um, and welcomed. And I think people um, calling each other auntie, you know, like the kids would call each other auntie, you know, so-and-so and uncle so-and-so um, lends more um, of the idea of people meeting together in a Christian community, but also the relationship, the relational um, part of it. And um, I think just wanting to be together, or uh, uh, let me rephrase that. I wouldn't say wanting to be together because I think, you know, many of us do want to be together, but um, being together, you know, like making that commitment and making plans to have each other into each other's homes and, um, and that on a consistent basis, you know, like not just when we're there, but we'll talk back to them or reach out at times when we're not there and or see on Facebook or other um, social media, the church is gathering together. Um, and just this idea of taking care of one another. And I think also the the spreading of resources, you know, making sure that um, families that uh, may need more support are supported and like the church is taking care of those families. So I think all of those things, even the way that we were treated, the hospitality, you know, very rarely um, were we ever put up in a hotel. It was, and not to say that that's a bad thing. I'm grateful for that as well. Like when we have stayed in hotels, but I feel like we were invited into people's homes to be part of their family, to take our and allow to take our dishes to the sink and that sort of thing, not treat it like, you know, I don't know. I just feel like that can get yeah. kind of weird sometimes. But all of those things, um, I feel like has very much left that imprint in my heart that that this is a community. And even as you're talking to one congregation, like they're thinking about the needs of the other congregation as well, which is very um, co- communal, very collective in nature yeah you you like that communal feel you like the um uh you you don't even mind longer like services where they are hanging out for hours and you know because i'm like man when when's this gonna get over you know (laughs) um but you don't mind those services that go on forever and as i remember you you love the fact that um, they'll just uh, a lot of the churches there. They'll just hang out all day. Mm-hmm. Like nobody's in a rush. They're not trying to get home and get out of church, you know, and got to be home by one o'clock. And, um, and and so it's all these little elements that, um, you know, when you when you don't experience those, you can go to church and you're like, eh, it's fine, but it's not family, mm-hmm. right? And so. Uh, that's why some of these cultural elements that we don't even think about, don't pay attention to in a diverse church, you can have, uh, you know, Sundays going on and half the people will leave and be like, oh, we're such a great church family. And the other half goes away going, we're a nice church, but that's not any kind of family that I know. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not, that's not family to, to me. Um, and, and what it, and I'm going to say something maybe biting and controversial here is um, a, a lot of what we're talking about, if we're honest. Now, there's always exceptions, without a doubt. But a lot of what we're talking about here is the, the one 
presentation of you know family is more of a white western cultured presentation and uh then the i think the thing that the the view of family that you're more representing here culturally is pretty much everyone else it's not white western and so um what can happen is a fatigue over time where you just start to feel inside in your soul and correct me if i'm wrong like i'm just tired I'm tired of white church. I'm tired of white songs. I'm tired of white concepts of family. I'm tired of white restrictive views of this and that. Not that it's wrong, but it's just, it's never, the default is never uh, in your comfort zone. And so it's always in my comfort zone when we go to church. And that's not what church is supposed to be. And that is I think maybe one of the main things we're trying to get across here uh, with this book, All Things to All People, and with this you know podcast in general, at least right now as we focus on culture, is um, we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware how tiring and fatiguing it is when you're always doing things by the cultural default of another group, and they're so blind to it because we can just we're not aware of it, that we, like, what's the problem? What's the issue? We're not following any one culture. We're just doing church the way you do it. But you know that we're doing it in a specific cultural way, and we're blind to it, right? Yeah. I would say that the fatigue for me comes from, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, like, quote-unquote, white. What I would say is... Well, I'm using that is culture, to be easy, is, is, right? That's not cross-cultural, cross-cultural and equitable where equality or is the norm and doesn't have to to be constantly proven to be equitable i feel like that's where the fatigue comes from you know where you're you're constantly having to basically either explain or put it on a platter and it just can't be the norm for in that moment for everybody yeah and and to clarify I'm not making this a race thing. I'm not making it a skin color thing. I'm using those terms right. culturally I know that. as, as culture. I just want to be clear for the audience. I'm using those as sort of a cultural catch-all, a white sort of Western American culture versus uh, the culture that more, you know, Latino, Asian, uh, African American tend to all share more of that communal type culture. And there's differences certainly, but more towards that bent of communalism and um, it's just something that we don't often explore. And so the, the conflicts that we had over the years in trying to navigate the family thing are really a microcosm of what we can see right. uh, in churches. And it's not just this one issue. That's the thing is there's all these different issues. And when you add up, you know, 15, 20, 50 different cultural areas and, and it's, always you're out of your comfort zone and always having to adapt to someone else's culture who's really not even aware that they're operating under their cultural preferences. That's what can get tiring and fatiguing over time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, Let's do one more section here. I love this one. Um, Is it rude to just drop by someone's house with no prior communication and stay around for an indeterminate amount of time. 
It tends to feel that way for me, for my wife, not so much. In fact, I will interject that everything that I was taught <laughs> growing up was like, you don't just drop by somebody's house. And I'm not saying my parents taught me that. I'm just saying the world I grew up in, it just, that was the values that were passed on. You, you, you're invited, you say you're coming over, that sort of thing. I remember when we were in Wisconsin, my wife enjoyed the church we were with, but there was something about it that didn't quite set right with her, though she could never place her finger on it. Then one afternoon, we stopped by the home of a family that had recently moved into town. The husband's Nigerian and the wife was a black woman from Canada. And these are friends of ours, so if they're listening, they're going to know exactly who they are. <laughs> I don't recall the purpose, but we were just swinging by their house that afternoon for a moment, completely unannounced. They invited us in immediately and enveloped us with love, food, and fellowship, and we wound up staying until quite late that evening. That was the first of many such unplanned days with them. But after that first time, it hit my wife what had been nagging at her. It was that informal, you are family feel that she got from just coming over with no plans and taking life as it comes. There were no itineraries, no schedules, and no boundaries. It was just community, family, and fellowship. Her soul had longed for that because it's what she grew up experiencing as true family. You know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. I do. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no. I I remember I remember the experience. I remember the time, and I remember just that feeling of like, you know, like <laughs> like I could exhale. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And what what I remember as being unique about that, and I think we even talked about it at the time, is like that first time when they invited us in. They were doing some kind of project around the house and like they had also like their house was kind of a mess. And I don't mean messy like it wasn't clean, but like they were doing some sort of project and there was just stuff everywhere. And that didn't bother them a bit. And then, you know, like some dirty dishes and it was like, oh, come on in. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was just and I didn't think poorly of it. It just surprised me because like I still have this thing in me culturally like. What if we're having people come over? What do I always do right before they come over? Yeah, you're cleaning. I start cleaning, right? Because it's like <laughs> it's just in me that like, well, it's rude to have somebody come over and not have the house spotless, and and so, uh, but you love the fact that we would just go over there and it was like just come as is. We don't need you. We ain't trying to put on any special show. Because my your thing family, is, your your real friends will help you clean. They'll help you clean. Like if you have something to clean, your your friends I, will help you to clean. I ain't got no friends like that. <laughs> then. I'm gonna have to talk to my friends. If you're if you're my so-called friend and you're listening to this, where you been when I got cleaning duties? <laughs> Let me read here. To this day, she enjoys it if people come over unexpectedly to hang out, and she loves homes where she feels welcome to do the same. Now you've you've kind of trained me. You've won me over on this one. I I sort of don't mind when people come on over. Like just come on in, come on over. Right. Um, and our house has kind of become that way. Um, although I do still like to clean up when people come in. But <laughs> this is not a need I have to make me feel like we're family. In fact, my natural reaction can 
be to feel a bit unprepared and put out if people just show up. I've, I'm learning. I'm growing in that. I've learned to adapt and appreciate the informality of this style of family, but I do still feel a pull to have a plan and be able to roll out the red carpet a bit when guests come over. Here's the rub, though. That nagging feeling that my wife had was, at the time, an unexplainable sense that church was claiming to be family but was not, not in the way that she understood and loved. This is a form of the relationship versus task orientation in culture. I was raised in a culture that approaches interactions with other people as a series of tasks. You schedule tasks, you plan for them, and you make them great, and then they end, and you go on to the next task. For other cultures, such as my wife's, relationships cannot be planned or scheduled. They happen. Life together cannot be bound by clocks and calendars. For her, family is something that you are, not something that you do. Right. That makes sense to me now, but it still often feels foreign in many respects. I'm going to stop our reading there for this episode. Hun, do you have any other thoughts as we close up today? Yeah, no, I think that, um, I mean, I feel like the, the chapter, I, it's been, it's good going through these, um, through the stories because it helps me to just think about just how much time it takes. I mean, how much time it's taken even in our own relationship to really understand this dynamic and the fact that we've had to fight for unity in our own marriage in this. And so I think it, it gives me um, a great reminder, um, hope, you know, and forbearance and um, just trying to be like patient and then also understanding that somebody else is having to be patient with me, even though, you know, my normal and my need, that my need seems very normal to me. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I mean, I think it's, it's good to understand that we have so much strength um, in our community when we are all allowing each other and giving each other the capacity to be fully the people that 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 God has grown us up to be. So, yeah, a lot of good, good, good laughs and good memories in here. A lot of great, healthy discussions, as we used to call them. Yeah, yeah. Um, hon, I love it when you're here. Thank you. We You have to be on the next episode because we have to finish up this chapter. Um, but we're winding down here. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. I got a couple favors to ask you. Uh, if you've been reading or even just listening to the readings here of All Things to All People, uh, or uh, read any of my other more recent books, uh, Crossing the Line, Culture, Race, and Kingdom, or A Crown That Will Last, or even the brand new book uh, that I wrote, which is just out in the last week, Escaping the Beast, Politics, Allegiance, and Kingdom. If you've read any of those and you appreciate and enjoy them, do me a favor, because it, it does help our, our ministry and helps in, in a bunch of ways. But uh, go online to uh, you know Amazon or to ipibooks.com. Uh, where you can buy the books, go to you know both of those places if you can, um, and leave a, a review of the book. Um, hopefully, you enjoyed it and you leave a a good five star review. That that helps um, the ministry continue on. So please do that. 
Um, if you do want to purchase any of the books, you can go to either of those places or it it helps our ministry a great deal. Uh, if you go to michaelburnsteachingministry.com and order the books through there. Um, we have an email for the podcast. If you want to ask questions or leave comments, please go to all things to all people podcast at gmail.com. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on the All Things All People podcast. Thank you.